The generations of our family before now have given you all and me the opportunities to be successful human beings. The opportunities we all have came at a price. The price paid by the initial immigrants who came to this country from Europe and the Middle East have provided us with the opportunities we have today. Don't ever forget the debt we owe those generations before us in the country that gave you birth and freedom. Remember your ancestors, they gave up all their tomorrows for you to have your today. This is Bryce Brennan with the Lost in the Midlands podcast brought to you by Midlands Dumpster Services and Sea Right Roofing. And today is a privilege to be here with a, a very special guest, a, a patriot, a West Point graduate, a family man, uh, a man who has much to, um, to discuss and, and to teach us with all the life lessons he has. And he's, he's written this amazing memoir, General John Emolenti. Thanks for being here. Thank you. <laughs> I'm excited to, uh, to dive into your past and discuss some of the experiences of your life and some of the things you've been working on even recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. But before we talk about some of the cool stuff at Celebrate Freedom and, and those projects, I do want to discuss a little bit about your family because it's it is interesting how you're you are this your amazing patriot. You've done a lot for this country, but your father was an immigrant from Italy. Is that correct? Yeah. And um and and that somehow that that bled into your you know decisions moving forward. So can you tell me a little bit about about him and how that influenced some of your um, yes, uh, from a historical standpoint, uh, it's kind of interesting now because we're talking about the border. And but in uh, when my father came to the United States, he was on one of the last boats, wow. ships uh, that uh, came out of Southern Europe. Uh, Congress in 1923, 22-23 cut off all immigration from Southern Europe. Oh, wow. That includes Spain, parts of France, all of Greece, all of Italy. So he was one of the few who got, uh, uh, got here under that uh, prohibition. So when he arrived, he was uh, 23 years old, um, without, uh, could not speak the language, Wow. I had a, a third grade uh, education. Um, uh, was a uh, it was a difficult time for. Him. Yeah. And I could never find you know I always wondered because uh, uh, I went to Ellis Island where you were thought that uh, all immigrants came and I, and I couldn't find him. So I said maybe he jumped ship or you know or whatever. But what I found out from a historical standpoint. Uh, Philadelphia, where all the stadiums are now, that used to be the Philadelphia Navy Yard. Oh, wow. And that used to be uh, a, a, an additional entry point for the immigrants. Uh, and that's where he came in, into Philadelphia. Uh, so he um, married my mother 10 years later. Now, my mother was had a different uh, background. You know, uh, uh, so it's... Uh, he uh, he he had a tough life. He had a tough life, and uh, I didn't realize that till uh, 
you know. So you get to the point where you can uh, recognize what uh, a tough life is. I mentioned in there one of his uh, little mantras is that uh, life is not supposed to be uh, easy. It's the Via Crucis, which is uh, the way of the cross. And uh, it takes you a while you know, even when I was in my 20s, I never realized it, you know. So you have your own family, then you, you realize what it uh, what it takes. Okay. Well, um, I understand that coming up, your brother, you know, fought in World War II, as yeah. did your uncle as well. Yeah. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, how those experiences impacted you, kind of their, their brief story on them? Yeah, um... Uh, my brother was uh, born, uh, he's a half-brother. He was born in Italy, so he spoke fluent Italian. I would have thought he'd uh, gone to the European Theater of Operations, but uh, he felt that uh, it would be too emotional for him to go back, uh, you know, and it would have been, uh, it would have been because uh, he was born in the very, almost the very tip of the boot of Italy, which is where the invasion of Italy started. So it could have been a, a difficult time for him. So he went into the he went to the Pacific. Yeah. Okay. Now my uh, uh, my uncle uh, was a um, was in the Aleutians, uh, you know, and got very sick there from that and had to be. Uh, evacuated um, wow. but as, as again historically that was one of the few the only place that the Japanese at that time had invaded the Aleutian Islands uh, after Pearl Harbor <clears throat> so uh, both of them so I, uh, I sort of had a um, uh, particularly with my brother who came back from Japan brought back a, a rifle you know and as a young boy, I would fool around with it, you know. And uh, but I always had a sort of a leaning towards uh, being in being in the military, never thinking that I would be a professional soldier, though. That was not. Uh, and as I said in the in my my notes, I didn't go to West Point to be a soldier. I went to West Point for three reasons: to to play football, okay, to. To get an education yeah. and to find a good-looking woman. There you go. I got uh, I got two out of three, <laughs> you know, which wasn't uh, uh, not bad. I'll take it. I'll take sixty-six and two-thirds any time. But uh, the football was over uh, very quickly uh, in in a sense that um, during one of the initial play, which was a freshman. Flea practices, uh, I incurred a concussion. Well, that was the end of my football career. So, yeah. uh, but it turned out to be, uh, interesting. I gave uh, my doctor, who I've known for 40 years, uh, who is the head of oncology at, uh, um, Washington Medical, Dr. Steve Madden. Uh, uh, I've, I've known him since he was a contract physician at Fort Jackson in the, some 40 years ago, and uh, he wanted my notes. He got my notes, and he got a big kick out of the fact that I had told him uh, the 
and I had I not got the concussion, I'd have been thrown out of West Point. Because uh, uh, academically, I was, you know, I didn't, I couldn't chew gum and spit at the same time. I unfortunately was, was too young to f figure that out till like somebody broke my skull open. So that's, uh, so becoming a professional soldier was, didn't happen until much later. Much later. That is interesting. Um, so what was, what was your move after West Point? Well, um, at the West Point, uh, I graduated. Uh, well, I found, I got, I said two out of three. I got my engineering degree and I found uh, a good looking woman. So that was my, uh, but I think I gotta go back because, uh, you know, how did I come up with this? Uh, uh, in high school. Okay. I had a, uh, uh one of my uh, classmates who played football with me. His father was a doctor, and uh, he went to uh, Columbia University. At that time, we're talking about the mid-50s, uh, Columbia routinely played the Naval Academy uh, at uh, Bakerfield and uh, West Point uh, on their schedule. Well, I went to the, uh, his father would give us tickets and we'd, we'd go. So I went to the first one I went to was at Annapolis, uh, game and, uh, no big deal. Then the next year, I went to, uh, the game up at West Point. Well, that was a, uh, that was an epiphany for me in terms of, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. All these attractive young ladies, you know, uh, I said, hey, there's, there's gotta be something to all of this, you know. <laughs> So that was a kind of a motivating factor. And then when I got back home, a young lady who lived next door to me, uh, a beautiful girl, uh, one day I came out and I saw she was going to, there she goes with a guy from the Naval Academy. I said, well, that, that, that solved, that, that's the issue. How do I, how do I negotiate all of this? So that, that was one of the prime reasons I went to West Point, to be honest with you. I had no idea what duty on a country meant. I don't even think I could spell it, much less uh, know what it meant. But not until, you know, you when I graduated, you know, and started working with soldiers. And uh, I had a, um, my uh, background growing up in New York City, that's a real melting pot. And, you know, we, uh, I, I grew up with... Uh, uh, Irish, Italians, uh, Blacks, uh, Jews, uh, you know, it was, it was very, uh, natural for me to, to deal in those kinds of, uh, uh, situations. So when I became a, uh, a lieutenant in the, in the infantry and had at that time, it was the sort of the end of the draft. Yeah. And I had soldiers from, from all of those walks of life. And uh, I loved them. They were they were just uh, uh, they were just great. Uh, and uh, uh, so the um, my first tour in Germany uh, wound up being a company commander, an infantry company commander. Let me ask you, sir. When you graduated West Point, were you commissioned at that time? Is that oh yeah, that's uh, when you graduate West Point, 
you get a degree in engineering, and you get a uh, you become a, an officer. Okay. Okay. You take the oath of office upon uh, graduation day. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that was uh, that's all part of the the, the program, and you uh, and then you get your first assignment. Mine happened to be Germany, uh, and it worked out uh, that. Uh, the, uh, I didn't have that good of an experience as a, a young lieutenant. You know, I was kind of, you know, it wasn't until I came back to the United States and joined Special Forces that, you know, I, I was with, uh, uh, you know, men uh, uh, who you knew had your back. Wow. You know, so that was, uh, uh, so that's what really propelled me. And all of a sudden, I turn around. I got ten years in the service. You know, and, you know. So you, it just winds up that way, Jeff. Yeah. This is Wright Brennan, the owner of Sea Wright Roofing. When it comes to the maintenance of your roof, you want to know that you have an experienced team that knows what they're doing. And with 10 years in the business, we check all the boxes. Leaky roof, storm damage, or just overdue on maintenance, give us a call at 803-828-4181 for a free estimate. Again, that's 803-828-4181. And remember, our commitment is to roof it the right way. Well, let me ask, so... It sounds like your, um, you know, family relationships, even women, is a big yeah, part. Yeah. You know, yeah. we can thank the women of this country for helping guide you. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and then, um, you know, when you left Germany, had you you'd started a family at that point. Yes, I had two, two girls when I left Germany, uh, uh, Suzanne and Jacqueline. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I was fully married when I came back, you know, with two little Little girls. Yeah. So you you know the life of a military family. You know yes. the, the sacrifices that everybody's got to make. Yes. I guess. And, and it really uh, uh, the wife play. You can't. You got to believe uh, uh, the wife plays a dominant role in that. If uh, if she's not, uh, you know, if she can't take, uh, you know, whether it's a deployment or. Uh, uh, or the fact that you're in the field three, two or three weeks out of the year, and uh, you know you got a difficult road to help. And by the time that uh, I turned around, we had five sons and daughters. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. And um, I, I want to kind of jump around a little bit. Yeah, sure. So you left Europe. You came back to North Carolina. Going back, uh, yes, I got reassigned to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Uh, and uh, started uh, at that time the special forces was beginning to to grow exponentially because of the war, and they started a new group, the third special forces group, and uh, we started in a uh, what uh, an area called Smoke Bomb Hill, which had World War II barracks, you know, so you can imagine what they looked like in 1964, and but. Um, and that group still exists today and uh, uh, was, a uh, again, a, an epiphany for me in terms of the military. Yeah. Uh, made a big difference to me. Uh, then uh, my problem with uh, Europe was, and I, and I look back and why, why was I, uh, why didn't I do as well as I thought I should have done? 
The problem at that time was there were there were a lot of uh, young officers getting out of the service, and unfortunately, a lot of them were in units, you know, and they, uh, you know, they never gave you the example you needed as a young as a young lieutenant. Yeah. You know, and uh, that sort of made me kind of jaundiced towards a full career until I got to Fort Bragg. Wow. What happened at Fort Bragg? Well, at Fort Bragg, you, you know, uh, jumping out of airplanes, uh, having uh, non-commissioned officers who, uh, uh, at top of their top of their skill sets, uh, joining uh, a um, this was the great this was uh, one of the interesting things I always think about is the beret. Okay, uh, at that time. The 82nd Airborne was there, and of course they'd all uh, ha ha wearing berets, you know. Now I turn around 50 years later, everybody's got to have a beret now, you know. So the you know it comes full circle. Yeah, comes full circle. So um, this was the time. It was a year after uh, Kennedy when he came to Fort Bragg, saw my uh, my uh, boss who at that time was General Yarborough, with a beret on. He says, I like that. And that's how, he got the, that's how they, we got the Green Beret. But Kennedy said, I like that. You know? And so <laughs> there we had a... Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Well, um, you spent time there, and then... Yeah. And then you... And from there, you went to Vietnam. Uh, no, from there, I went to the uh, infantry school at uh, Fort Benning. Uh, actually, after you graduate, you go to the basic infantry school uh, for six months. So I didn't really get to Europe until uh, I graduated in uh, June to give you a month off. Uh, then you uh, went to Fort Benning and uh, went through um, airborne school, ranger school, and the basic officers course. So all finish up by December wow. of the uh, 1960. Came back. Uh, about this time of the year, got married on the 31st of December and left for Germany the 15th of January. So, um, and that was, so that was prior to your deployment to Europe? Uh, yeah, that was all prior to my deployment to Europe. And, and you mentioned you went to all these different schools. I, I know that yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not military, but I've yeah. heard that yeah. like Ranger School is a really tough program for... Um, yeah, it's, it's it, well that yeah it uh, it uh, probably of all the schools except the special forces because when I went to Fort Bragg, uh, I had to uh, go to uh, the special forces program orientation program. That's how you get your beret. You know, you have to go through the uh, an eight week uh, program, same as uh, Ranger School. Yeah. Both of those are fairly difficult. They're physically difficult physically and mentally difficult. difficult. Um, and actually, to be honest with you, uh, they're more difficult than combat, except in combat, somebody can kill you. Uh, where in this, uh, you know. But uh, in all honesty, uh, in uh, Ranger School, one of my classmates died in a river crossing, uh, slipped off the rope, and drowned. Wow. So it. Uh, uh, they can be dangerous too, and jumping out of an airplane can uh, can be dangerous too. I said, 
That's a thousand foot jump. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That sounds like it's a risky business being in the military. It's really wonderful well, stuff. Yeah. And and then you I mean at some point you did go you, you made your way to Vietnam and Yeah, right after right more. after the right after the uh the advance course at Fort Benning. Okay. I uh, left in uh, June June of sixty seven for Vietnam. Okay. Okay. June of sixty seven. And and reading some of your notes, I understand you were part of the Tet Offensive, is that correct? Yeah, yes. Um uh, that was probably the, from an emotional standpoint, the most uh, difficult because uh, my uh, my operational unit uh, headquarters was in uh, Tansanut Air Force Base in Saigon, uh, and and you got you know Saigon during that period of time was started out when the French were there. About 500,000 people. By the time the war started, there were over 2 million people there. Yeah. So it was, uh, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it looked like, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking back now uh, uh, what was going on there. It looks like uh, what's going on in the southern border right now. Thousands of people, uh, the homeless, uh, yeah. you know, you could, uh, you know, uh, and, and then it's unfortunate because Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City now, Saigon was to be the Paris of the Far East, you know. Turned out not not the case. So um, we, I had come in from the field after two weeks being out uh, up in. We used to normally, uh, the unit I was with was a um, a strategic force that uh, got committed only to uh, uh, an active combat operation. In other words, some, and normally, for example, a special forces camp would be being overrun and we would, uh, they would uh, helicopter us into that to, to try to save that. Uh, and, and so it was always, always helicoptered in or, or went to a hot situation. Well, in the uh, in the case of Tet, um, uh, we come back to re to refit, and unfortunately, uh, in our uh, they called it a villa uh, where we where we lived, but the uh, uh, the uh, a red roof end is a hell thing compared to what the, what we lived in, you know. But you know that was. It was a clean bed, you know, and you had a shower, and that's all we needed when we came back. Got a phone call about uh, 2 o'clock in the morning on January the 28th, 1968. They said, uh, Dai Wei, which is a uh, Vietnamese for captain. They said, Dai Wei, you better come. Uh, we've got trouble. I said, fine. So we jumped in our Jeep. You know, but there were six of us. We got in a Jeep, and we started driving through Saigon. Now, I just finished telling you, Saigon, two million people. There wasn't a soul on the street. <laughs> there wasn't a soul on the street. Something and, going on. You know, something was going on. So we made it through the town, out to Thompson. It's about a 20-minute drive. Thinking that, you know, we're going to get ambushed one way or the other here. Luckily, we we made it through. Yeah. But subsequently, after the Tet Offensive, 
we went back on that route and um, I um, we found a jeep with uh, two contractors. There were CIA contractors. It was called Pacific Architects. Two of them were in a jeep. Both of them got killed. Uh, the jeep uh, was in pretty good shape. Uh, the windshield was shot out. Battery uh, compartment, which was right to the side of the driver, needed to be replaced. So we we took the uh, uh, the dead uh, contractors out, put them on the side, and we hauled the jeep away. Uh, you know, that was a piece of free uh, uh, you know transportation. You yeah. Know? Uh, and um, I took uh, I took it to a. Uh, Third echelon maintenance. The Army's got uh, five levels of maintenance. First and second level of maintenance you do by uh, with your uh, your driver or whatever. Third echelon is short of being a rebuild, and fourth and fifth echelon they go back to the factory or whatever for rebuild. Yeah. So they got third echelon shop. I took the uh, Jeep in, and for an AK-47, you know, uh, he said, I'll do that, I'll fix it up for you. <laughs> uh, so that was, uh, that's how I got a Jeep, and, uh, you know, they make a lot of stories up because I, when I was ready to leave, I had to auction the Jeep off, you know, so we <laughs> Well, um... You know, you had a lot of combat experiences in Sound Flyers, or some yeah, combat. Yeah, see, Ted was a uh, uh, the first the first couple of days. Uh, most people who uh, you know anything about the uh, the Ted operation, the NVA and the uh, the Viet Cong uh, were decimated uh, there. Now, the uh, the NVA were true soldiers. All right, I mean, I have to give them that credit. The the uh, the Viet Cong, uh, I would think of like they were kind of thugs, you know. They weren't really, you know. Uh, uh, so you had to you had to distinguish between them. Now the NVA, good soldiers. I mean, when you know when when you take a look at uh, them coming down the Ho Chi Minh Trail with a pair of sandals, carrying a 150 pound load on their back. Walking, you know, they they had uh, they were motivated, so they were they were good soldiers, uh, comparably speaking. Um, in uh, Saigon, the uh, the NVA had never gotten there; it was mostly from the Viet Cong, and um, they were they were decimated. They broke through the uh, fences uh, at um, at Tonsonut. Uh, and then by the, the end of the first day, we had uh, corralled them. We, the, the military police, uh, American military police, and uh, an airborne battalion I had, corralled them to the center of, uh, of uh, Tonsonut, and uh, the, that was the end, of, uh, the end of them. But it was a touch and go, and... Uh, uh, the ones who were uh, very, uh, um, who, who took a, you know, who were very uh, afraid were the nurses, you know, because the, the first field hospital, you know, which was a, which is a major hospital in the army, 
uh, uh, was there and had a lot of nurses, you know, who obviously were very worried and uh, it took us a while to calm them down, yeah. you know, but uh, uh, they, there was never a, uh, there was never a chance uh, of anything happening in Saigon. And by the end of the first day, uh, a, a, uh, an American uh, battalion had come through and it was, uh, you know, nothing, uh, nothing more. But it was three tough days. Yeah. Three tough days. Well, in, in your, um, in your memoirs here, your notes, you were speaking about when you were leaving Vietnam. Yeah. And you, uh, I'm going to quote you, you said, uh, I recognize the importance of leadership in combat operations. Poor leadership almost always gets soldiers killed. I also learned the main tenet of leadership was action, not words. And I want to ask you a couple of questions because you know, yeah. shortly after that, you also kind of spoke about how the Vietnamese had a great leadership structure and they were mm -hmm. good mm -hmm. soldiers, and that and that made a huge difference. Um, was that something that kind of developed over time while you guys were over there? The, the leadership, did you feel, got better? Now, the the, uh, the basic leadership that the Vietnamese had uh, came from the French Foreign Legion, which had uh, stationed in Saigon their airborne battalions. And most of the... Uh, the officers in uh, the Vietnamese army, at least that I ran into, uh, were uh, NCOs in the French Foreign Legion. So they were, uh, and, you know, fairly good soldiers. I mean, I really didn't, uh, you know, I was, uh, I really didn't provide too much to them because they had, uh, in fact, I learned from them more than they learned from me. Now, what I could bring them that they couldn't get was air power and artillery. Yeah. You see, which uh, was basically a, an American uh, operation. Uh, so uh, that's where our uh, efforts came. Well, and let me ask you about the American leadership. Do you feel yeah. like the American leadership got better over time in Vietnam? or? Uh, uh, it's it, it's it's tough to say now. Most of the lieutenants were ninety ninety day wonders. You know, I had to put it that way. You know, they didn't give them much background. You know, you don't get much. You know, don't uh, don't forget at West Point, I spent four years. Yeah. Learning, uh, you know, be and my, uh, you know, and war is a, is a horrible thing, you know, and my uh, my grands my grandsons and daughters, well, dad, well, grandpa, why did you stay in the military? I said because uh, I had a. Uh, Another awakening when I took a group of the 82nd Airborne uh, who landed in, uh, who parachuted into Normandy in 1944 for the, their 50th anniversary in Normandy. And I was at the, uh, the American Cemetery at Normandy. And uh, cross after cross, and you, when you read in there, there wasn't anybody over 21, 22 years old. All these young men had, uh, who uh, died, you know, 2,000 on the beaches, just getting off the uh, landing craft. Uh, 
it just came to me that I ha I could save a lot of those people because of my training, okay? And I felt that I owed that um, to the country. Uh, and they trained me for four years. Yeah, yeah. They trained me for four years in the best military school in the world. So uh, that was my motivation. <laughs> <laughs> you have a, a solid leadership foundation yeah. that was built and everybody needed you. Well, man. <laughs> that's right. It, um, and at West Point, that's how you start. You start as a plea yeah. and you work your way up through merit. Well, let me ask you this. Um, do you think, do you see some parallels in, you know, like military leadership and then the combat environment you were in and you came back and, I mean, were you able to also deploy some of the same skills and not quite a, such a terrible environment and kind of see success and the other oh, uh, things yeah, going yes. on? Yes, and uh, I mentioned, I think, in my notes, uh, General Schwarzkopf's uh, comment about leadership. And, and he's absolutely right. You know, your soldiers depend on you uh, to keep them alive. That's your whole job. Uh, and so I made a, um, in my own mind, that uh, I wanted to save as many of them as I could. After seeing Normandy and the cemetery of Normandy cross after cross, it, uh, it just uh, had an indelible um, mark on me that, uh, that I felt that uh, could, be a, could be applied anywhere. It didn't have to yeah. be in combat. Combat is the... Uh, the Quintessential uh, time you, you use it. I mean, yeah. you got to have it then. Now, uh, there's a lot of times that uh, uh, you, you've got to. Uh, I got. I think I. Uh, I mentioned in my notes uh, saving Private Ryan. Right. I had a young man uh, from New York named Joe Ryan. Joe was uh, couldn't have been much. He was not much older than I was. It was one of my privates. Got got himself in trouble, and uh, to this day, uh, I uh, you've got to know you you got to know your soldiers. You know, he thought he was going to wind up in Leavenworth, and I wound up giving him uh, company uh, punishment. You know, and he never forgot that. And uh, forty years later. He contacts the Association of Graduates to look me up and to thank me for not sending him to jail, you know. Uh, but that's what, you know, you have to make that choice. And I mean, I, somebody else in my position as a company commander may have sent him to Littleworth. Yeah. Okay. But I knew enough of, you know, I, I knew enough about human nature to recognize that you know that that wouldn't have been, that shouldn't have been the case for him. So that's that's just one example where you learn you don't have to be in combat, but but also growing up in New York with the the, uh, the different nationalities and people I dealt with just put me. I mean, I could deal with a janitor <laughs> or I could deal with a general. Didn't make any difference to me. That's a real talent. Yeah, that, that that's is, right. That is, that's th right. That's awesome. I um, I wanted to hit on another theme that was in your notes. Yes. Um, the uh, kind of your spiritual life. I noticed you left some notes to your uh, yeah. your kids about you know, hey, 
you want to think about this too. There's yeah. other elements to the world. Yeah. Uh, I had uh, I had two, uh, I think, extraordinary uh, situations when I was in uh, uh, in Vietnam. One in a, a very serious combat operation. And, you know, and you see it in the movies all the time. And by the way, the, mo- the military movies, maybe with some exception with Private Ryan, uh, Saving Private Ryan, most of them are um, fictional. Okay, I yeah. mean, in terms of the real life. But uh, it's always when, you know, when it comes time when you there's no atheist in a foxhole and if it looks like it's the end, Lord, save me, and I'll be a good man, blah, blah. It didn't come to me that. I mean, I was in that kind of a situation, but at that time I had four sons and daughters and a wife, and I said, and I thought about uh, <laughs> um, Solomon in the Bible, and uh, uh, apparently uh, God was so enamored with the Solomon because of what he uh, of what he did he said uh, I'll give you anything you want you want the riches and Solomon said Lord just give me wisdom and so uh, I said uh, I said to myself I don't need wisdom Lord but I want you to take care of my sons and daughters and my wife uh, and I don't care about me now, I thought that uh, looking back on it, if I said, Lord, you know, I'll be good at such a, I'd probably have been come back feet first. I thought that was a, uh, you know, something that I would have uh, never thought about till it happened, you know. And then the second one was I was in Saigon, and we used to uh, leave our, our, our quarters and, I'd had a jeep with a driver, and there were three different ways of getting to my base, and we'd take a different route every time to avoid a, uh, an incident. Well, this one time, I, as I was pulling out, uh, a, man, a, a palsy uh, man with palsy comes up to the jeep uh, looking for food, and I gave him food, and I looked into his eyes. And I couldn't believe, and I still see him today. They, the, uh, his eyes were uh, were piercing, you know. Uh, and I gave him, you know, some sea rations that I had. Never saw him again. Never saw him again, you know. And I would have thought that, you know, most of the time, you know, it's like a, a cat, you know. You feed him once, you got that cat till he drops dead, you know. And the same thing with the, most of the people. You know, if you feed them, they're going to come back. Never saw them again. Well, those were, so I, I, related that, I related that to my, uh, my grandchildren, 19 of them, by the way, <laughs> uh, that, uh, you know, you got sometimes you never know when you visit, <laughs> you're visited by uh, an angel. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm sure that all 19 of those grandkids are, are getting so much from these awesome notes, powerful stories, um, really an, an amazing life that you've had. So yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. we are fortunate we get to hear about the lessons you've learned. And I just want to say appreciate your service, appreciate talking thank you, to thank me. Thank you, thank you, Jeff. Yes, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I'm hoping that they got something out of that.
Absolutely. Thanks for coming on today. My pleasure. Hey, everyone. Many thanks for watching. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a follow and click the bell to stay up to date on future episodes or click the link to watch another previous episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and please leave us a comment. We'd love to hear your feedback.